On this episode of AV Week, we take a look at the future of control and automation, the death of blue jeans, and supporting higher education in their evolution of technology. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure, because every voice matters. This is AV Week, episode 627, recorded Friday, August 25th, 2023. Dun, dun, dun. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we've got this week. First and foremost, we can't tell you where she is or where she works because then they'll have to kill me. And you can make your decision then. Uh, Dawn Mead, how are you, ma'am? Very good, thanks. Uh, I'm actually in the office today, but I sanitized. We don't know where the office is. I know. I'm just saying I sanitized so there's no indication. Um, oh, I appreciate that. Yes. So does my boss. <laughs> a young lady I've gotten to speak to a whole bunch of times this week, uh, and now uh, we make it 14. Brittany DeCessory from Control Concepts. Welcome, ma'am. Thanks for having me. And last but not least, the late, great Mike Brandis from Kansas. Okay. That was a Mike was late joke. Uh, you, lovely start to my eulogy. <laughs> Tell you what, you, when, when, you're, you're like 20 years younger than me, so I'm not even going to make that joke. All right. Um We've got a couple things going on. Yes, I'm finally back in the office and back in the studio. Uh, If you're not watching the video, or even if you are, the brand spanking new uh, video wall that Mitchell asked for for Christmas is finally in. Um, It has technically been fixed, but I will be completely honest. It's been a little bit of a busy week, and uh, Patrick and I did not have a chance to make a video graphic for the wall. So, yes... The absent fancy schmancy wall behind me is working. It's just not on. And that one's my fault. All right. First story. Um, In response to evolving demands of higher education spaces, the University of Hertfordshire has undertaken a transformation of its outdated Prince Edward Hall Lecture Theater. Uh, This renovation has created a flexible and cutting-edge learning environment designed to cater to the needs of both in-person and remote students. They partnered with GVAV, uh, and the university opted for Cusis, Q, Mr. Brandis, not why we had him on, but it just happened to happen, happen that way. Uh, they use Cusis audio, video, and control, along with uh, four, a uh, 4.8 millimeter uh, NEC LED wall and interactive displays to create a dynamic learning environment. Don, we are going to start with you. Uh, Don not only works for uh, a, she's an end user now in the corporate space, but also used to be an integrator. We are moving into the fall. We're recording this technically the last Friday of August. If, I, if Mike and I were still technology managers, which we used to be 100 years ago, um, we'd be working nights, weekends, and holidays uh, because there is a deadline and, and classes start at 8 a.m. some Monday morning sometimes, so it don't matter. How can the AV industry and, and all these really cool, awesome, groovy things, how can we work together with the technology managers, with these in-house integrators to help evolve the learning spaces to help them leverage this technology? Oh, gosh, that's a nice, big, broad question. Um, I mean, the biggest things are, first of all, knowing deadlines. If you're doing higher ed, be ready by September 1st if you're at Hogwarts or whatever your start date is. You know, if you're working for the government, be ready for like the 
third and fourth quarter craziness because everyone's trying to spend their budget before it gets yanked and reassigned to someone else. You know, there are different verticals, have different deadlines and different important dates. Be aware of that and be ready to work with us on that. Um, that being said, you know, a lot of times, and, and it's changed recent years, recent years have seen more end users coming to Infocom, but a, a lot of times integrators have to let the customer know, hey, this is what's available. These are the technologies we have, both hardware and software solutions or, or packages that can make your life easier and here's how. And here's how we can engage those students that are distant and you know the, the folks that are here and the folks that are technically supposed to be there but slept in so they're at their dorm and they're gonna check it out later. You know, So you've got your in-person live, or in-person live, you're not in-person live and occasionally, you know, they have the like on demand or catching up at a later date. Um, and that sounds silly because you know, I made the joke sleeping in, but when I did my master's program online here um, through the University of Maryland system, they had a lot of military in the classes. And we literally had a guy in one of my classes who was taking the class from a cave in Afghanistan or wherever uh, from a base. So all of his learning was asynchronous to the rest of the class. And those of us that were lucky enough to be in his part, uh, you know, in his group for the group project, we had to take that into account that, okay, we can assign this to Steve, but Steve ain't going to see it until tomorrow. Of course, for tomorrow, yeah. for Steve is, you know, in an hour and a half or whatever. So all of these considerations, you know, uh, both whether you're doing it time sensitive or, or in live, the, the teacher doesn't know, the professor doesn't know, the person in the conference room or the training center for your corporation doesn't know unless they happen to be the one that went to Infocom. So educate, let them know what's available and then take them through the process and uh, they will be grateful for the assistance. All right, Brandis, um, not only does Mike work currently for CUSIS, the system that was put in at Hepatria, but Mike um, used to work in higher education. So take this from both angles of this, dude. You know, you're you're coming upon, you know, the end of the, the end of the summer, hot and heavy. You know, how would you want not just manufacturers, but also integrators to help you get to the finish line? It's a great question. So be before I get into that, I do want to shout out one, the QSIS platform and two, Audiologic, our great market partner over in the UK on this, because I think, how do we help people? The first one is having good partnerships and also having good platforms to use. I mean, we could throw buzzwords around like having a solution that's flexible, that you could say yes to everything, having a solution that's scalable. So your smallest rooms and your biggest rooms all have the same thing. So you don't have to be an expert in a hundred platforms. Those are great. I got my marketing kicks out of the way there. I'm going to send Joe Fama bill, by the way. <laughs> From a more practical standpoint, I think there's there's a few areas. The first one is honestly and truthfully having a flexible platform because you don't need, I mean, if there's a thousand things that go into a system design because each thing does one thing, that's a thousand things that can go wrong. You want to talk about closing out a project and getting to the finish line? It's not having a 600 row punch list in Excel. It's not 4 a.m. gas station pizza to keep the project on track for the third straight night. It is getting off the project quicker. And, you know, when you talk about system integration firms that are supplying all this, you know, how do we as manufacturers create a platform that's profitable for them 
without having to pass on too much cost and prevents this kind of change order to death system of I have to go back and do this. I have to go back and buy that. Right. These are all the things that if we're being honest about a project, it's not the vendor selection. Like that's a small part of it. You chose this company or that company's products like that's fine. The pain is the last 10 percent. The last 10% somehow takes like 100% of the timeline. I don't know how that works, but I feel like that's annoying. And as a kind of playing the other side of the fence, as a technology manager at a university, sitting there and watch all this progress in a relatively short period of time, projectors being flown, screens being hung, things being racked and the smell of solder. Like you could walk in and be like, wow, look at 88% of my entire installation in three days. And then that next 12% took months and it never was quite right, but we learned to live with it. And then we signed off and everyone got paid and people got to keep their jobs, right? It's that last 12%, last 10%, whatever it is, it's just building things into your flexible and scalable platform that enable better outcomes and finished projects are better than not finished projects. So I think that's kind of the most important thing here is getting project complete and not having the done versus done, done debate over and over again. I have a new one for you. It's, it's done, 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 uh, which actually hurt my soul when I heard that the other day. It's when everything goes wrong, you're like, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> okay. That was actually pretty good. Uh, Brittany, uh, Brittany works for control concepts. They, they do a whole lot of stuff, including controller automation, which we'll talk about in a second, uh, but also software. Uh, development. When when you guys are talking to uh, a lot of times they work directly with integrators. A lot of times they'll work directly with um, end users. When you guys are, are looking at a project and you know either the, the clients like this this might start you know let's say first of June first of July depending on on the uh, the, the finance cycle. But here's the deadline, right? Mm -hmm. This is a hard hard deadline. Classes start here. How do you guys work alongside those folks to make sure that those deadlines are met? Yeah, the programming side of it sits within that 10% that Mike was just talking about. And our programmers are, are right up against the wall when it comes to time. And we're typically the last ones in the room before it's working and functional. Um, and so there's a whole lot of pressure on our programmers. Um, and so at Control Concepts, we have a 25-year history of doing programming. But now we've shifted to being able to provide those building blocks for our programmers. So it is easier. So we work with platforms like QSIS to provide those plugins so that programmers aren't starting from square one, they're starting from square 30. They're already halfway or more down the line in terms of their programming so that everything is, is not taking up as much time. Let's make it as easier, um, as easy as we can uh, for our programmers. And the big thing here is also keeping in mind, you might be talking about functionality today and that's what concerns you, but when you're programming, you have to keep in mind the future. What's that expansion look like? What's that growth look like? Because if we can develop the code base to be easily adaptable, to make it so that you have perhaps a standard set of codes for your standard set of rooms um, so that you can scale without added cost and you can add in different features and functionality, that's going to be huge in the long run if you're having those conversations early on. So making sure your your programming house, your integrator is sitting down with you and saying, okay, this is the functionality you want today. Have you thought about this? What things are you looking for down the road? So we can probably future-proof things for you. So it's not an added cost. Um, so it's really important that you are working with someone who can really help architect that solution for you. 
All right. Uh, next story is uh, a little bit of a sad one, uh, especially if you have followed along with Blue Jeans the last 10 or 15 years. Blue Jeans is no more, if you haven't heard. Uh, Verizon's decision to decommission both its Blue Jeans platforms and the sale of its digital events uh, business reflects the formidable challenge posed by Microsoft's dominance in the collaboration market. According to insights from Global Data, Microsoft's strategy of bundling teams with services like Microsoft 365 and Dynamics has given it a significant edge, even affecting industry stalwarts like Cisco and Zoom. To counter this dominance, Global Data recommends that competitors explore the integration of artificial intelligence and communications platform as a service. Um, Brandis, I'm going to start with you on this. You know, when we look at this, and Blue Jeans has been had been going down for a while, right? They, they got picked up by Verizon. It was a surprise to me, and I think it was a surprise to a lot of people when that purchase happened. wasn't quite sure what they were going to do with it. And obviously, they never really figured out a great business model for it. Last time I checked, there was somewhere in the neighborhood of 250-some-odd video collaboration or video um, um, conferencing services. And I ask this, you know, when you look at that space, we have Teams, certainly. We have Zoom, certainly. You, you've got to put Cisco in there still, and, and you've certainly got to put Google Meet in there. Who else is going to go by the wayside when it comes to fighting Teams? Are, that, are the rest of that 250 going to just say, screw it and, and sell off or, or close their doors? Or is this a space that there's enough room for everybody, Teams included, and, you know, they're going to make a go at it. Well, that's a great question. I think the nice thing is if I'm right, uh, great. If I'm wrong, no one's thinking about what I'm about to say and changing their Zoom stock we're, options. We're based recording on this. You know that, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, and I can be wrong. That would be the first time, but I could be wrong. Um, there's, I don't know. You, you said 250. I don't know how many providers there are. There's a lot. Um, Blue Jeans had this really cool, unique value proposition of, You've got Skype, you've got Skype for Business, you've got FaceTime, you've got hard codecs from 100 different manufacturers, and you just want everyone to be able to talk together without having to upgrade 100% of your system. Yep. And that was possibly the best business model for a snapshot in time where we had all these disparate platforms. What BlueJeans brought to the table in that interoperability layer evolved into other similar products, you know, Pexit, for instance, or even native to individual platforms. I can join a Zoom call from my Microsoft Teams client and basically it just recognizes the link and opens a Zoom app and then I'm in the Zoom call. It doesn't, it's not full interrupt, but it is one button to click, so to speak. Look, there are large players in whole other parts of the, the world that are incredibly important and are gonna be around for a long time places where, you know, it's really difficult to do a Teams call in some countries. Thought of, but like Tencent, for instance, you know, that's a, a regional player in Asia. Moving forward, how many people are going to be left? I don't know. There's a thousand different software tools I can use to draw Visio diagrams, but we still refer to them as Visio diagrams because Microsoft is so pervasive and dominant and the base of every piece and part of technology. When they started in the video calling space. They bought Skype and they turned it into Skype for Business, right? That's where they got their start. And uh, Zoom had just basic video calling. I don't think they even had chat at one point. And both of these platforms have grown over time. And they are 
dominant players, Google had chat and email. They added a better version of video calling, which they already had. So you have all these platforms that have evolved over time, whereas all this stuff used to be separate individual companies and products. So I think a lot of the smaller niche players, like in every other part of every other industry, you're going to see consolidation. No. Do you try and do something great to get bought, to add yourself to someone else's portfolio? Or do you try and figure out a way to take on a giant and maybe you get there and maybe you don't, right? Uh, some might argue that Microsoft shouldn't have tried to take on Cisco when they did video calling, but I think it worked out for them. I so it's a, it's a matter of, do you want to be the specialty player that adds value to another platform? You know, attach yourself as an ecosystem player to them. Or do you want to just shoot your shot and see how far you get and uh, enjoy the ride while it lasts? All right. Brittany, uh, what can end users and, and the folks who leverage these platforms, how can they use what seems to be a war that certainly Microsoft appears to be winning, but how can they use this battle to benefit themselves, right? Whether that is, like Micah said, go down the road of leveraging a niche platform that does one thing specifically that their company absolutely needs or you know using that as an add-on how can they use that to benefit themselves and their organizations i think people want to use what they're comfortable with and the microsoft platform has been so ingrained in the corporate world for so long that it's so hard to get away from that and i know for myself looking at other uh other systems there are some that i truly just look at as a personal system and even though they have corporate capabilities and although they can quote unquote, compete with Microsoft, I will always see them as a personal system um, and will always uh, go back to using Microsoft for, for corporate needs. And um, I think for us, it's easier when it's a smaller company to be able to be a little more flexible, to use a few different uh, systems and a few different applications to be able to do what perhaps the Microsoft suite is capable of doing all in one. Um, because you're smaller and the cost is not as great. But when you multiply that, the cost gets exponentially more expensive when you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of employees that you have to take on. And so you're gonna find a lot of these, it's harder um, and you for the bigger companies to not be locked into a certain system. And so I know for us at Control Concepts, we are a, a Zoom company and that's our preferred platform, but I still offer Zoom or Teams options for any of my meetings because I have clients who can't join a Zoom call when they're in the office and they have to use Teams. I've gotten in spots where they're chatting me in Teams and I'm sitting in Zoom because they're like, you've got to switch over to Teams. I can't download the Zoom client. So we face those challenges. And so for us being small, we're able to be a little more flexible in that we can offer either option. Um, so I think it's it's really just keeping in mind if you're the one that's having to do outbound calls, if you're the one that has to uh, be able to chat or share files um, outside of your company, you're going to have to be a little more flexible in what those options are uh, because some clients are their systems are locked down and they can only use what they have available. All right, Dawn, from a couple hundred to several thousand um, person company, you know, talk about this from the same, from, from that aspect of either leveraging, you know, these niche products or just saying, you know what, we're, we're a Microsoft house, we're a Zoom house. That's what we are because it is the standard across all of our various offices and all of our various locations how can somebody like you leverage this battle going on to, to benefit your company and your organization? So 
here's where the economy of scale just sort of falls apart because what Brittany was talking about was a few hundred people few hundred people you could say everybody's on this platform period end of story when you start talking thousands of people you're talking about thousands of sites hundreds and thousands of sites however many and that means different life cycles different um refresh cycles you know you would cry if you saw some of the spaces that we've had to upgrade recently i literally just took a call this morning where they're still running you know rgbhv five wire BNCs, um, you know, it, it just Google it, kid, because yeah. half of them don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> I know that's the sad part. But yeah, it, it, you know, once you get beyond those hundreds of people into thousands of people, you don't know what they have on site. And so you have to juggle multiple platforms. Sometimes we just finished transitioning over to 365. I think we can say that because nobody knows who I work for and everybody's doing it. But we can't say we're a team's place because we still have sites running Skype. I'm sorry, what? We still have some places running Skype. We're trying to get rid of them quick as possible. Is it still supported? Probably not. That hasn't <laughs> stopped us before. <laughs> I, was gonna say, I, I thought they shut down those, those servers. Okay. I mean, but I'm just saying, like, trying to get from point A to point B when you get too large becomes an adventure in and of itself. Ask Frodo. So, you know, it's, it's a case of... Um, we just have to figure out what the best options are that where we can be flexible and say, this is the standard that we're aiming towards. And this is true, not just of the conferencing, but of any AV product. This is the, the standard I'm aiming for. And I'm going to roll out as many rooms and as many sites and as many customers at that as possible until it becomes obsolete. We have to come up with a new standard and then some other group is going to get their stuff refreshed. And these guys are still on the, you know, it's, it's just never going to be, it's not a finished job. It's not a finishable job. So I guess, you know, figure out what's going to work for the most people. And I would say for the most part, we use a Zoom variant and Teams. We don't really play outside of that other than maybe some secure stuff. You're not using Amazon Chime regularly or WorkCast Present or Flock Connect. I thought you just Googled some stuff. I thought that uh, Chime was shutting down, too. I'm looking at a list of 31 video conferencing providers. Yeah, yeah Chime, Chime's going bye-bye. Okay. Uh, if, if it hasn't already, I don't think I'm breaking an NDA. I, I think I read that. RIP. All right, fi final story comes to our friend from our friend Cindy Davis over at AB Technology. We're going to talk about control. This is exciting because this is my favorite part of AV. Uh, as a reminder, I am a failed control systems programmer. I sucked. It's okay, but it's still my favorite thing. Um, in the expanding world of AV technology, managing a complex ecosystem of devices has become increasingly challenging. Uh, AV manufacturers are, quote, unquote, rising to the occasion with innovative control solutions, she lists 13 new AV products on the horizon to simplify uh, configuration, deployment, management, and control. Couple things to note here. Number one, one of them was AMX. Again, Google it, kids, if you don't know who AMX is, because when Harman bought AMX and then Samsung bought Harman, Samsung wasn't sure what the heck to do with AMX, and I don't think I'm speaking out of school there. They really didn't know what they were doing with it. Um, it's been a little bit, you know, hit and miss here for the last couple of years. It almost like they, they almost became hermits uh, for a second, but they are coming back with some stuff. So that's very exciting. Oh, wait, you mean Panja? 
Uh, Again, Google that one, too. Um, Certainly, Crestron's virtual control is in there. Um, uh, Sennheiser uh, has control cockpit, which is interesting as well. Um, And you've got folks like Aurora. You've got folks like Hall Technology. uh, Certainly, um, uh, at Lona, you've got all sorts of folks that that have got some control stuff coming down the pipeline. This is is incredible, Tim. This is every type of control. Do you want to control a third-party device? Do you just want a web interface to change the name of your device? Do you want a button panel that connects to something? Um, It's, wow, it's like talking about cars, including Mm -hmm. trucks and Mm -hmm. ships. And uh, it's incredible. It's incredible. Uh, QSIS is certainly in there as well. Uh, Brittany, we're going to start with you on this, uh, not for nothing, but wh- where she works, Control Concepts, has been an independent programming house. And if you didn't know this, I would argue they were the first independent programming house in the in the world. Uh, but I think we were the second. I think Greenblatt yells at me when I say he's the us. first. Yeah, someone beat us. I think he's first. Okay, I'll take it. I'll I'll, I'll let you believe that. <laughs> There's a story there, and if you catch me in a trade show, I'll tell you the story, and then Greenblatt can yell at me later for it. <laughs> um, but you know, when you look at stuff like this, certainly you guys have got to play well in in all these areas. But as configuration evolves, and this is something that Steve Greenblatt's the guy who owns Control Concepts. He also hosts a State of Control here on Aviation. Um, Steve and I have been talking about configuration for years. How does that evolve? How does that? What does that do to the independent programming houses? As configuration gets easier and easier, and as it shortens the the time that traditional programmers would spend on it, mm-hmm. what does that do to a place like Control Concepts? Like, how do you guys evolve? Well, um, we have evolved in that we do a lot less fewer or a lot fewer uh, programming uh, jobs for integrators. We have chosen to shift our business. Um, so the, there's one thing that Cindy mentions in this article before she goes into this list, and it's talking about the surge in manufacturers trying to make their pro- their products easier to control. And that's yeah. a huge piece of what we do. I would say that's arguably about 90% of what Control Concepts business is now, is working with those manufacturers to make their products easier to control, um, making sure they're existing in the various platform ecosystems, working with platforms like QSIS, like AMX, which I, I know we all like to joke, they're a partner of ours, so I'm going to treat them equally. Um, they made a big announcement at Infocom, and I think you know we're going to see some, some exciting things come uh, in the future for them. But I think the biggest thing here is, although we're seeing those manufacturers investing in drivers, modules, and plugins for the known control systems, we're also seeing this return to trying to be the all-in-one, to trying to be the the end-to-end solution provider. We've been there. We've done that. It hasn't worked for us in the past, so I don't know why we're going back. I think we need a little bit of a history lesson. Um, And if manufacturers are willing to invest in making sure they exist in the known platforms, they're going to be a lot more successful. Um, I think if you play nice with those who who are available, those who have product, those who are getting put into these integration projects, you're going to have a lot more success. You're going to see a lot more eyes on your product and your sales are going to increase. And right. when you're when you're building out these these control platforms to truly be successful, it's a huge investment. QSIS knows this. They had to invest in building out that plugin library. 
before you just launch it out. If you don't have those existing libraries all ready to go, it makes programming so much more difficult. And the, the more difficult your control system is to program, the less likely it is to get put into projects. And so it's so important to make sure that you are setting up the programmers for success from the beginning. So unless you're willing to make that investment in time, money, resources, in building out that library, you're probably better off just investing in the product you have and making it work with everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dawn, uh, she mentioned, you know, what, what's, you know, what, what we have coming down the pipeline, what is the future of control? Is it, you know, is it the API and, and making sure that software is available and, and all these things, parts and pieces work together? Or what, what is the future that we're looking at here? I think personally, the future, Brittany said it is simplicity, 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 simplicity. I can tell you right now, you know, we're looking to go with something that's agnostic, something that doesn't tie us into one particular ecosystem because we have sites everywhere and some of them have equipment from who knows where. And so you have to try to put these things together. And if we lock into one ecosystem, it's not going to work for these guys over here because they're on something different. So yeah. that's one thing. Um, going with something agnostic, going with something where you're not required to wait on shipping is always a positive. You know, something more software based or server based is kind of where we're leaning. But, and, and, and when, when you're talking about those sorts of products, there's still plenty of work for the Britneys and Steves of the world because, you know, yeah, a lot of those uh, programs, or at least one of them, you can clone your room once it's done and just change the couple of parts. And the changing of the couple of parts is something that I, as an end user, could do. But I don't have time to create a room or, or create rooms. And so that's where we would say, yo, Steve, yo, Brittany, we need these room types created, mm -hmm. and then we're going to have some special one-offs and auditoriums and whatever's coming down the road that are going to require something a little more detailed. But for now, give us this template that we can just clone the hell out of and get, a, you know, scalable, get a bunch of rooms up and operational all at once, because mm -hmm. that's simple for me, making my life easy. And we'll come up with a standard GUI or standard operations that's easy for our customer. But the bad news for the control people and for the Britneys and Steves is we're also looking at taking away the control element wherever possible. Mm -hmm. So if we have a space that has just an in-room computer or just an in-room computer and like a laptop hookup, we're going to just put in an auto switcher. And the default is always going to be the computer. And when you plug in, it's the auto switcher is going to sense it, switch to it, and then switch back when you unplug it. You know, and you can turn on a projector or a TV with a remote, or you can just put a little tiny simple button panel, you know, wherever you want to put it and operate from there. And it makes it like mindless for the end user. They don't have to think about anything. They don't have to look at a GUI and go, I don't want to push the wrong thing. It might blow something up or worse. Uh, I don't think it's working when I hit the button. So I'm just going to go play with these cables. Yeah. And we've got both of those types where I work. So, you know, simplicity is the key. That's where we want as end users. And whether that means going with system agnostic, easily configurable and replicable control, or, you know, in where you're able, eliminate, eliminate that or minimize that and mm -hmm. just make it, you know, dead simple. Everyone in the world knows how to use a remote for a TV. So, you know. Water it down, folks. 
Well, and that simplicity is only possible if the work's done ahead of time too. Right. So it, that's where it's important. This, this investment piece happens. Um, so yeah, from a programming standpoint, it might not require much. It's just a plug and play. Like everyone loves to wish for, but you still have to make sure that the, the coding has to be done at some point. So it's either all done at the beginning or it's all done in the, in the install. Um, so making sure that you've invested in the right way so that the end user is getting exactly what they want. All right, Mr. Brandis, what is the future of control, sir? Before I offer that, I'm going to respond to a few comments. Uh, simplicity there that you just mentioned, Brittany, I think that was great because as things become easier and more invisible to the user, it doesn't mean that they're any less complex on the back end. Right. In fact, usually it's a lot more difficult to make it easy on the user. Those god-awful user interfaces we've all sat in front of where you have to press 25 buttons to get anything done, it's so it can be easy on the back end. So when you're trying to make easy spaces, it does take uh, capability, and it takes well thought out. You know, we talked earlier about the last part of the project where control comes in being the most painful. It's not because of control. It's because control highlights everything else that could possibly go wrong. I have to spend 300% longer than I thought to tie this design that's only 60% working together. Great, that's a control problem according to you know the time that it happens, where it is on the project cycle. It's got heightened scrutiny. The building needed to be open two months ago. The control system sucks. I'm never buying that control system again. I'm never hiring these control programmers again. And that's a micro version of AV is the problem with every project because we're the last trade in, we're the last group in, yeah. therefore all the problems with the building are our fault. So. <laughs> that's right, that's right. You're just the small scale version of that control. <laughs> all customers want are frictionless deployments, right? And there's two ways to make that happen. You can spend a ton of money having bespoke installations, custom programmed out of thin air, and that's a way to spend your life. And the other way is to standardize, do it once, and, and kind of deploy it out multiple times. And that's that's no different than everything else that's in the world of technology today. You know, you talk about no-code app development. That's not unique to the AV industry. CIOs have been yelling from the rooftops, I want no-code app development for business intelligence for this, for that. It didn't take away the business from people who write apps for a living. It created more capacity, more throughput. You can get your simple, this is what I need. I need it to be five steps better than what's pre-canned, but I don't need to spend however much it costs to get an app built from scratch. Yeah. Right. So there's always going to be different options available. I want to pay somebody really good to build a room and let me deploy it 500 times. There's going to be people that say these three rooms need a dedicated touch. This room over here is so simple. Uh, it can go that way. So we've always in our industry pointed at an either or scenario and all can be true at the same time. Now, the only thing I will say is patently incorrect is Don's assumption that everyone knows how to use a TV remote because I've had to tape over multiple buttons for my mother. So it's it's not fair to lie to the people on the internet. <laughs> okay, that, like that's fair. I've done the same to my 82-year-old mother. So my, my apologies to the early boomers. Oh, my. <laughs> hey, my, my dad's 73. God love him. And he can still use her, his remote. He can't program the VCR, but he can at least turn on the TV. Wait, and... you, have, you let your father have a VCR? He's still using the VCR. This is 30 years ago. I was... <laughs> How are you going to record Gunsmoke reruns? Exactly. So here, here's the Gen X. Here's the Gen X joke of the day. Uh, Generation X, the only people who ever learned how to promote the VCR, because our boomer parents didn't know, 
and our freaking millennial and Gen Zs did never have to do it. So that's it. All right. I just enjoy watching HD DVDs at home. <sighs> that was the superior. And I'm not going to get it. All right. That's it for us. Uh, Dawn Mead, thank you so much. Uh, how can people connect with you if they find you? You can find me on the socials at AV Dawn. You can see me at whatever industry events I actually get out to. And worst case scenario, shoot me an email. Dawn at AV Dawn. Hey, how are you? All right. Brittany DeCessory, uh, thank you so much. How do people connect with you? Control Concepts. And where can they find you at Cedia? <laughs> I knew you were going to tag it like that. Um, so you can reach us at controlconcepts.net. You can reach me on Twitter and LinkedIn at Britt Dice. And you'll see uh, Steve and myself, along with one of our developers at CIX and Cedia, they're co-locating uh, this year. Um, we'll be doing a class on understanding personality types and using that to help you be more efficient in your communication and your business. Um, so we have a class happening on the CIX stage on Thursday at 1.45. Double check that time. I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, and we have the CEDIA class happening on Friday, and that's at 2 o'clock. All right, very good. Mr. Brandis, uh, thank you, sir. How do people connect with you or QSIS? You can find me on LinkedIn. That's the only vestige of social media I still carry forward. You can find my company at QSIS.com. And you can find them, I believe, on Twitter, although I can't actually verify because I need an account to view a site now. Um, I think it's uh, twitter.com slash QSIS underscore ABC as an audio video control. And, oh, yes, yeah, oh, sorry. X. It's X. Oh, X I, will, I don't think you. I can ever say um, that. I will be at Cedia, but not doing anything uh, public facing, just kind of walking the show floor and, uh, you know, working from our Boulder office kind of in between. So I'm excited to to see what's new in the CDA world, see what is going in the CIX world and kind of really see the evolution of the, the resumercial space. I think it's uh, been a fun project to watch. I think we've, uh, there's not too much difference between a high end home and a, you know, medium tier commercial installation. So seeing how those products and positionings and, you know, value propositions and things like that will be really fun. hundred percent. I, I could not agree with more. And, and it's not very often that I agree with Brandis. Uh, for us, for Aviation, go, uh, do not follow me on the Twitters uh, or the X's. Go by the website, aviation.tv. That's aviation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others, including Steve Greenblatt's State of Control. We talked about Cedia. Uh, we'll also be heading to Cedia Expo and CI Expo uh, the 7th through the 9th of uh, September uh, in Denver, Colorado. So you can check all that out at the website, avianation.tv. That's avianation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week.